Psalm chapter number 43. Let's read this short psalm. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. What an amazing passage of scripture. We'll only be dealing with just a small portion of it this morning, but... Joe Baker is always talking about wanting to have my job. (laughs) I'd like to give it to him, to be honest with you. But always trying to help him out. And, you know, finding a message for Sunday morning for a pastor does not have to be difficult. Just so you know, it's actually, Joe, when you get the job, it's actually fairly simple. There are books, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are books that are messages in full. I mean, word-for-word messages that you can preach. There are also books, if you want to do a little bit of work, that are outlines of messages. And so you just find an outline and you just fill it out with what you want to do. And so you have it that way. There are websites where you can download sermon outlines. And there are actually message services that will just send you your message each week um, so that you don't have to do anything at all. So there's, if you don't care what you preach the method is actually fairly simple. It's not difficult to have something to preach. There are other methods that don't come from somebody else that a pastor can adopt that makes the sermon selection much easier. And there are many good men who use those methods. I personally do not. My method is basically this. All week long, I try to go where the messages are. That's the Lord. I try to spend time with the Lord, as much time as I can, and I try to listen as carefully as I can. And generally, as he's teaching me, I make notes of that, and the messages for you will often be found, almost always be found, at some point from my past where the Lord has dealt with me. Sometimes the Lord makes that message clear very early in the week, and so I can contemplate the message all throughout the week and think about how it all ought to go together. Sometimes it comes a little later, and sometimes it comes very, very late in the week. In in times like those, when there is no message, what I do is I go back to where the messages are found. That's the Bible and the Lord. And I begin to read. And I read. And I read. And I read. Last night, I basically read the book of Matthew and Mark. And I have to tell you, there is a lot of wonderful truth in Matthew and Mark. 
but none of them were the message. Now, when the hour gets late on a Sunday night and there is no message yet, I do not panic. I just do what George Mueller used to do when he had a house full of orphans and nothing to feed them. Mueller would go to the Lord and he'd say, you know, Lord, I got all these kids and they're going to have to eat in the morning. And I don't have anything in the house. But you know, these aren't my orphans, they're yours. And if they're going to eat, you're going to have to feed them. And basically, that's what I tell the Lord. Lord, tomorrow your children are going to assemble, and they're going to need something to eat. And you know I don't have anything, but if you'll feed them, then we'll all be fed. That's basically the prayer that I pray. That I pray. Well, last night the hour grew late. And I only had just a few more minutes before I had to go to bed in order to have enough strength to even get up and, and do this today. And so I picked up a notebook. And there were notes in there that I had written five or six weeks ago. You know, I had no intention of preaching a series of connected messages. And I had actually completely, believe this or not, I had completely forgotten last night about our plain, simple man. I don't know if you'd forgotten about our plain, simple man, but I had. But when I picked up those notes, here it was. And there was no getting around our plain, simple man once again. <laughs> this has been a very unusual week for me on a, a bunch of fronts. If you knew my week from the inside like I do, you would probably scratch your head when you, heard the t when you hear the title of this message. For me, this message is kind of like grading your own paper in school. Do you remember doing that? The teacher says, all right, we're going to grade your papers, but you're not going to switch them with your neighbor. You're going to grade your own. And the teacher begins reading off the answers. And, you know, some of the answers are, hey, I got that right. And others are, ooh, I got that way wrong. And then there were some that, You'd like to give yourself the benefit of the doubt, but there's probably just a little too much doubt in there to get the benefit from it. In the reality, you missed it. This message is really what I'll call the grading of my week. Some I got right, some I got wrong, and I'm not going to show you my paper today. And I don't want to see your paper, but you might want to do a little grading of your own paper today. I about fell out of my chair this morning when, when well, first off, uh, Brother Bible, when he read, he quoted one of the, his patches, one of the verses I'm going to quote this morning, and when Kirsten sang her song, I about fell out of my chair, because we don't coordinate any of this, the title of the message is, Our Plain Simple Man Finds Joy. And what was your song? My joy is full. Now, who could do that but the Lord? Our plain, simple man finds joy. Let's pray. Father, I rejoice because you are so good to us. And because it is your bread that is broken this morning to be fed to your children by your spirit. 
and we rejoice in all that that means. And we expect it, Father, because we are hungry little children who you have taken into your family and you have promised to, do, to feed us. And so we come to be fed. Each person in their own way, each person with their own needs. Father, I ask that none be left behind, none be left hungry, but each one fed to the full, no matter where they're at in their walk with thee. Please, dear Father, for the glory of the Lord Jesus, give us what he purchased already. For we ask it in his precious holy name. Amen. To refresh your memory on about our plain, simple man. Our premise is that if a plain, simple man living on a deserted island found a Bible that floated up on shore, if he picked up the Bible and started reading, and he read it from cover to cover, and read it for what it actually said, he would come up with correct doctrine. He would know what the Bible teaches on the, 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 the basic things of it. He would not, Christians often hold incorrect doctrine. They hold it because somebody else taught it to them. Or they are influenced by the wrong teachings. They don't read the Bible or they're influenced by the teachings of others. And sometimes they have wrong ideas. Sometimes you get a wrong idea, and Christians have lots of wrong ideas, and they get them not from the teachings of men verbally, but by the improper lives and attitudes of the Christians around them. We are influenced by how others around us live. And so we hold incorrect thinking doctrine because of the experiences of the people and what they're doing around us. So... Ask yourself this question. If our plain, simple man left his deserted island and walked into a, the average local church, what, and he developed his doctrine from looking at the average local church, what would his doctrine be on joy? If he went into the homes of the Christians across the country, would he find joy? If he looked into the lives of the average Christian, would he find joy? If our plain, simple man, put you, let's, we have to deal really here, all right? If our plain, simple man developed his doctrine of joy in the Christian life based on what he sees in the local churches, what he sees in the Christian homes, and what he sees in the average Christian in the country, what will his doctrine be? And you're probably doing a little shuddering at the thought of what his doctrine would actually be if he develops his doctrine from what he sees. But 
Our plain simple man is not at all of those places. He's sitting on a deserted island. He has a Bible in his hand. What doctrine will he hold if he reads the Bible for what it says? Well, let's take a quick look here. He would read the psalm that we just read. Let's look at verse number four very quickly here. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God, my, what is the next word? Exceeding joy. My exceeding, you understand what that word means, my exceeding joy. God is my exceeding joy. He would continue on reading. And we come to verse 5 and it says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? He would find that he has no reason to be cast down. He has no reason to be disquieted. Why? Because he has God who is his exceeding joy. Is this all that our, our plain, simple man would find in the scriptures? About joy? No, this would be the tip of the iceberg. Over and over and over and over and over and over, our plain, simple man would find that joy is to be the expectation, keyword, the expectation of every Christian. The Psalms blossom with joy. Everywhere else he finds joy, joy, joy. He reads of the joy in the Lord. Through all the New Testament, he finds the fullness of joy. God, joy in God's presence, joy in God, joy in the Holy Ghost, exceeding joy, joyfulness, full of joy, great joy, joy in trial, joy in temptation, unspeakable joy, 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 joy. Can you deny it? Can you deny that this is what our plain, simple man would find as he opens up the book and reads it for what it says. Would he be holding false doctrine if he said, my life as a Christian should be one of abounding joy that nobody could even understand. That is what I'm promised by this book. Would he be holding false doctrine if he held that view? On one hand, our plain, simple man finds the extreme lack of joy found in the average Christian. And on the other hand, he finds that the word of God promises him joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, which doctrine would you tell him to hold? The doctrine that he finds in the average life of a Christian or the doctrine that he finds in the scriptures? Well, let's take another step back here, which is more important. Which doctrine do you hold? And even more importantly, which doctrine do you live? Sobering thoughts. Let's find out how our plain, simple man finds joy. Our plain, simple man finds joy, number one, 
he finds his joy when he discovers that joy is found in a person, not in circumstances. He finds, he discovers that joy is found in a person, not in circumstances. If our plain, simple man was looking to find joy in the circumstances of this life, we might wish him good luck with that, knowing that he's in for a rude awakening. Do you realize that a life without trouble is merely a fairy tale? Think about how all the fairy tales end. And they lived happily ever after. And we interpret that means they lived a life without trouble. Ha! That's why it's called a fairy tale, my friends. It's, there is no such life on this planet. We live on a sin-cursed planet. And if you are looking, my friend, for a life without trouble or difficulty, you are going to have to look someplace other than this place because there is nothing like that here. You know, the young look at the old and say, what problems can they have? The old look at the young and say, their problems are but few. But nobody looks at their own life and says, I don't have any problems. I don't have any difficulties. Everything is going rosy for me. It's all butterflies and unicorns in my life. <laughs> to send our plain, simple man out to find joy in the circumstances of life, he is doomed from the very start. It can't happen on the planet. But when he discovers that joy is found in a person, the joy becomes a reality. His joy is found in God. As the verse says, God is his exceeding joy. The fullness of joy is found in God's presence. It's a joy that can remain and can flourish even through the most difficult circumstances life. Our plain, simple man finds joy, and he finds it when he realizes that joy is found in a person, not in circumstances. Number two, our plain, simple man finds joy when he realizes that Jesus Christ is the provider and the pattern for this joy. He finds joy when he realizes that Jesus Christ is both the provider and the pattern of this joy. Now, we're going to have to expand on that for quite a bit here in the next few moments. But let's consider this in the totality of life for a moment. Since joy is found in God himself, our joy is found in God. He is our exceeding joy. What hope can our plain, simple man hope to have in that joy? A joy with God himself. Well, he, he realizes there can be no joy because he finds himself separated from the exceeding joy, his God. What is, has separated him? His sin has separated him from this exceeding joy. He knows his joy is found in God, but he can't get there because there is a great gulf fixed. The gulf is his sin. 
He cannot get to God. He is actually an enemy of God. How can he have this exceeding joy if he is an enemy of God? He has violated God's laws. He's rebelled against God. And now his sin stands as a barrier. And our plain, simple man realizes he has no joy and can have no joy until something happens. And there's nothing that he can do. He built the wall, but he can't tear it down. And then our plain, simple man, reading through the scriptures, finds out what Jesus Christ has already done. He finds the provision of his joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ, God the Son, has broken down, which was read this morning, broken down the wall of partition between them. Jesus Christ's death has paved the way. His death has paid the debt. Do you realize that Jesus Christ purchased our plain, simple man's joy at the cross? The purchase was made. Your joy has been purchased already by Jesus Christ. It was purchased at the cross. When your sin was dealt with, you were reconciled back to God. And now that wall between you is is down, and the Jesus Christ provides the joy. He has paid for it in full. But it's not only that. Not only has he provided the joy, he is the pattern for it. Most of you are fairly familiar with the life of Christ. Anybody who is familiar with the life of Christ here on the earth, would you categorize it as a, an easy, soft-going life? Would you categorize it as a life without trial and tribulation, without difficulty? Is it just a pretty smooth out life? Anybody who knows anything about the life of Christ would say it was everything but that. It was not easygoing. It was not simple. It was not smooth at all. It was a life filled with conflict. He was, above all lives, a life filled with difficult circumstances. For he had to be tempted like as we are, in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and despising the shame. His joy, my friends... We find our pattern in him, and his joy was not found in the circumstances of his life. Where was the joy of the Lord found? It was found in his Father and in the doing of his Father's will. So we find our pattern, we find the provision, Christ has already purchased our joy, but we find the pattern of it. It's not in an easy life, but in the Father is where he found his joy and in his Father's will. And in Christ we find not only the provision of joy, but the pattern for joy. Now let's flesh this out a little bit. We'll flesh it out by saying this. Number three, our plain, simple man finds joy because he finds, number three, the answer to his joy robbers. He finds his answer in Christ to the joy robbers. 
maybe a better way to say that, but you everybody understands what I mean. He finds the answer to his joy, Robert. Since Macy has gone off to college, our cat population has decreased. We were at eight to ten cats, I think, outside when she was home all the time. But since that time, I cannot say what happened to them. I am not guilty of whatever I just, I didn't do anything. We're down to two to three cats. Here's the unusual fact. I'm buying almost the same amount of food. Now, you would say eight to ten cats, down to two to three cats, you guys must have the fattest cats in history. But it's not the case. The cats are maybe losing weight, not gaining weight. And every time I walk to the kitchen and I come back with food, I get this cat staring in the kitchen window, looking at me like I'm starving to death out here. Now, how can this be? How can you feed by the same amount of food for eight cats as three cats, and the, one, the, the three now are losing weight or not gaining for sure? Well, here's another piece of the puzzle. Our house, our backyard backs what would be arguably tens of thousands of acres of the Red Rock Reservoir. And I don't know if you know about the woods, but they're full of animals. But the animals do not stay in the woods. The raccoons and the possums come up on the deck and take the cat food. We now have the fattest raccoons in history <laughs> in my backyard. They come up and steal the food. Also, there's a few neighborhood cats. Man, they fight. Oh, I never get a chance to watch because that would be interesting to watch. But you can't even believe what's going on on the back deck. The, the, I don't know where these cats come from, but they come up and they also eat the food. And so, there is plenty of food being provided. Do you see that? Why aren't the cats getting it? Why are they just barely getting by? Because it's being stolen from them. Now plug it in. Jesus Christ purchased for you exceeding joy. All bought and paid for. So why are you not living in it? Because it is being stolen from you. So who's doing the stealing? Our plain, simple man finds joy because in Christ he finds the answer to his joy robbers. So let's walk through a few of these joy robbers and see if we can't get their theft to quit in your life. Who are these joy robbers? Let's deal with them one at a time. Number one, our past sins and failures. What robs you of your joy? Well, my guess for most, probably everybody in here, this would be at least at one point has been a problem. Your past sin and failures. It would be pointless this morning to ask how many of you have done something in your past life that you're ashamed of. It would be nonsensical for me to say, how many of you, if you think about something you did in the past, your face would turn red as you thought about it. It would be dumb for me to ask, how many of you 
have things that you wish you had not done in your life? The reason that's a dumb question is because it would be 100%, except for the dishonest people. Because everybody here says, oh, how stupid could one person be? Oh, why did I ever do that? When I look back at my younger years, I see all the incredibly stupid things that I did, the makes that I made, mistakes that I made, and they, you think, how could you have been so dumb? How could you have been so blind, Vanderhart, to have done this? You know what I've found as I've gotten older? I think I've actually gained in a little wisdom, and I don't make quite as many mistakes as I did in the past. You know what I have, though? My road's a lot longer behind me. And every mile of that road has catastrophe on it. Mistakes that are piled up. How <laughs> near with me on this? You're like, oh, brother. Now, how can a man with a history like me, with a history like you, how could I possibly have joy when I've got all of that on my back trail? You know, every part of that affected people that I love. Every part of that didn't just hit me, but hit the people around me. It's rolled into other people's lives, and now I've got all of this, and I'm like, how could I ever possibly have any joy knowing what I did? And our plain, simple man finds there's a joy robber. But in Jesus Christ, he finds the answer to that thief. How does Jesus Christ deal with this? The man cannot go back. He cannot undo. He cannot redo. He cannot change what is left behind. But the plain, simple man finds the thief, the answer to that thief in Jesus Christ. Because our past has been dealt with, the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed to deal with all of those disasters. The blood of Christ cleanses and frees me from my past. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washes washed it white as snow. You know what? When the joy robber of my past comes to steal my joy, you know what I do? Point him to Jesus Christ. There's my answer. I did the dumb things in the past. I can't undo that. But they have been paid and washed perfectly clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if he wants to argue, the joy robber wants to argue that with the Lord Jesus, more power to him. But I don't have to argue with that. My past is clean. It's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it does not have to let, I do not have to let it rob me of my joy. I have the answer in the person of Jesus Christ. But that joy robber, the robber of the sins of my past, he has a brother. And his brother tries to rob me as well. 
And his brother is the thoughts of future failures and inadequacies. The one robber points to my past and says, look what a mess you made. His brother points to the future and says, you haven't got a prayer. You are going to mess this up. How many have heard his brother before? It's a legitimate question, by the way. If I mess my past up so bad, how can I possibly do any better in the future? I haven't changed. I am still the same dumb person I was. How can I possibly ever do anything different? And so all of these things that I've done, my history tells me that I'm going to mess this up. And my problems of life do not diminish. But the effects of my mistakes travel much further now. Have you realized that? When you were a kid, you made mistakes. And they had an effect. But the older you get, the farther the effects of your mistakes roll out. Have you noticed that? And so when the joy robber comes to say, you know what, pal, you're going to mess this thing up because you are totally inadequate for the future. He's got a legitimate point. And all my joy can go right out the window because of that fact. But our plain, simple man finds the answer to this in Jesus Christ. What is the answer? Sure, in myself, there's mistakes, trouble, and messes. That's all I can create. And if I do, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse me of those. But in Christ, I don't have to make those same mistakes. Christ provides wisdom for each step. He provides the attitudes for each circumstance. He leads through every trial. He provides answers to every question that needs answered. He provides the love needed for each moment. In other words, there is a greater power at work in my life than myself. In Christ... I have a greater power at work working through me than I have on my own. On my own, I'm going to mess the future up. I'm inadequate for what I'm about to face. But in Christ, I have all the power and wisdom and strength and emotion and attitude that I could possibly need so that you do not have to mess up the future. I am in Christ. I am adequate because he is adequate for the future when I let him work through me life works a lot different and the joy robber is left running home with an empty sack because in Christ I have what I need for tomorrow the joy the plain simple man finds that Christ deals with his past sin and failure. He deals with his, the future failures and inadequacies. Number three, he finds that Christ is the answer to suffering 
and difficulties. Christ is the answer to suffering and difficulties. You know, in our lives, there's a lot of things that come that are not caused by our own actions. There are difficult things that we face. There are sufferings that must be endured. It's just the way that it is. And the thought of these things actually steal our joy. Because you're going to have to face some very difficult things. They're not of your making. There's nothing you can do about them. But they're coming into your life and there's nothing you can do but face them. And that's easy to have your joy stolen from you. How can you have joy while you're going to have to suffer and go through difficult, difficult days? If you're not going through difficult days at this moment, just wait. It's just around the corner for you if you're not in it now. How can a man have joy knowing that he's got to face these things and there's nothing he can do about them? Well, let's see if we can get a handle on this. I think we can all agree upon the fact that I was not a very good father. I only got one shirt that said world's greatest dad on it. That was given to me when Heidi, the, our oldest, was only an infant. That tells you something. I was afraid to wear that shirt for fear of getting sued for false advertising. We can all agree on this. But you know, as I look back over my life, I made a lot of mistakes, there's no doubt about that. But I can tell you one thing. I never intentionally caused the kids to suffer or to have difficulties just to see them suffer. Just to make life difficult, I never did that. Now, I will tell you, I introduced some pain and suffering into their life when it was required. And I introduced, I, I put them into some very difficult situations intentionally. Why? Because it needed to happen. There was a purpose for what I was trying to do. And it was for their benefit, whether they understood it or not, it was for their benefit. I never once intentionally put them through suffering and pain just to watch them suffer. I can remember, I don't have time to give you this whole story, but I'll give you the short piece of it. We took Heidi in for a procedure. She was at the doctor's. They had to do this procedure. The pain was so great that I literally had to lay on top of Heidi to keep her from going out of her mind. You say, why did you do that? Because it had to be done. The, the, the suffering was there. Believe me, there were a lot of tears, as many tears coming out of my eyes as her eyes. But it had to be done. The procedure had to be done. I didn't like it. But do you see? Now, if I, being the, the less than adequate father that I am, that's putting it mildly, when we have God... And our plain, simple man finds out who God is and what he's really like. He realizes he's not being put through any pain or suffering or difficulty to no purpose. And his suffering takes on a whole different look.
when we find that Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and despising the shame, the suffering on the cross was not pointless. And what does God say about that suffering? He says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely give us all things? I forgot with him. If we're not freely with him, give us all things. Can a God like that, who punishes his own son for our sin, who promised to provide freely all things, can a God like that cause you to suffer just to watch you suffer? Could he ever possibly put a difficulty into your life that has no purpose? You may not know the purpose now. You may not even know the purpose later. But there is a purpose and do you realize that in the power of the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, you can go through the trial and suffering, bringing glory to God? Now, how could anything be bad that allows glory to come to God through your life? Little old you, nothing you, and your life can be allowed to bring glory to God? How could anything be bad? It may be hard, it may be suffering, it may be difficult, but how could it be bad when that's what happens through it? Our plain, simple man finds joy in bringing glory to God in the suffering and difficulties of life. Let's finish up here, number four. Our, with the joy robbers, our past sin, fu the, the future failures and inadequacies, those thoughts, the suffering and difficulties that come in life, and number four, the feeling of loneliness. I'm not sure if all of you will understand this, but many of you will understand this. Have you ever felt alone? Well, let's just raise a hand here very quickly. How many have felt alone in a crowd of people? In a house full of people, in a church full of people, you felt alone. Okay, so you know what I'm talking Many of you know what I'm talking about. It's difficult to be alone. It's lonely to be alone. And this feeling of loneliness and being all by yourself, is, it's very common, but it robs us of our joy in a house full of people in a church full of people, in a world full of people. You can walk feeling completely alone. And that's hard. But you know what? Our plain, simple man finds joy in Jesus Christ. You say, how could he find joy in Jesus Christ in that? Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, the feeling of being alone is a real feeling. But the reality is not true. It isn't true. There aren't just words on paper. They're not just platitudes. It's a reality. When our plain, simple man realizes that the feeling of loneliness is not accurate. That he is, in fact, in the presence of Jesus Christ every moment. And when he realizes that, he finds that in his presence, 
presence of God is fullness of joy. We feel lonely and our joy gets robbed from us. But in Jesus Christ, we find that he is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We find that he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And we find that in his presence, you know what? It was a really joyful place to be. And that joy robber is left with nothing. He's a thief that's merely a shadow. Because in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. So what has our plain, simple man discovered from God's word concerning joy? He's found that joy isn't in circumstances, but it's found in a person. He finds that Jesus Christ is not only the provider, but the pattern for that joy. And he finds in Christ the answer to the joy robbers in his life, his past sins and failures, the future failures and inadequacies, the sufferings and difficulties that he'll have to face, and the feelings of loneliness. This is what he finds in the scripture. Now go back to the beginning. You've been grading your own paper. If you're grading your paper based on all the people sitting around you, you probably did pretty well. But if you're grading your paper based on what God has promised, your paper probably has quite a few red marks on it. And you have to determine... Just exactly where do I get my Bible doctrine? Just exactly how do I live my life? Because our plain, simple man finds 